0: You're listening to another New Hope Chapel Podcast. 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 This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Julie Coleman.
1: The beautiful weather this week has just been a wonderful um, blessing after the heat of the summer. In Maryland especially, we appreciate that. It also makes my daughter and I very camp sick. Um, we we spent many years, many summers up at Camp Maria, which is up in the mountains in New Hampshire, the foothills of the White White Mountains. Beautiful place. It's located on Newfound Lake. Um, I don't know if you can see it on this picture on the screen, but you can see all the way down to the bottom of the lake from this picture. This was taken from one of the cabins. That was the view I woke up every morning as a camp staffer. I was delighted that my daughter decided a few years um, after she became an adult to be part of Camp Area staff in her mother's footsteps. And she went up and worked in the program. She was one of the program directors and uh, had a wonderful time leading things all summer long. At the very beginning of the program, before the campers ever came, there was this uh, big staff meeting in which all the procedures and the handbook and rule, 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 all these things, OSHA rules and camp rules and this and that rules. And they had to sit through a whole big, long meeting of all the regulations and things that they had to keep, which was a little overwhelming. But we did get a charge out of a couple of them uh, she had the handbook with her before she left for camp, and she was reading through it like a diligent new staffer. And we came across this set of rules about what happens if there is a fire in the dining hall. And they had procedure how that you know these people would be dismissed first, and this person would be charged in that. But the thing that really cracked us up was at the very end of the handbook. It said that um, the lifeguards would remain behind to remove the trampled bodies. So, it kind of struck us funny—they're planning on trampled bodies. But anyway, um, so we had this great, this uh, great fun with it. But there were a lot of rules and regulations, and it was hard to remember everything that they said through that whole big long time. Um, but until the camp director at the very end said this, he said, "If you don't remember anything else that we've said in the past hours, <laughs> remember this: camp is for the campers." That was the principle that he wanted to stick in their heads to make all of those rules and regulations make sense. And if they didn't remember every single thing, they were to remember that whatever you do, make that your governing principle. Camp is for the campers. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a passage in Romans that kind of does the same thing. It sums up all of the stuff that Paul's been saying all along and gives two defining principles in which we can kind of remember and it will govern how we act. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, If you remember, and and Carl bemoaned this when he was speaking on uh, Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 starts with Paul giving the command to the Romans to present their bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, that was um, holy, and um, and it would be acceptable to God. And so then he gives a big long list of rules. Rules, Melanie. <laughs> okay, rules. She's a little sleep on the job. She's still enamored with the picture of Camporea, I guess. But anyway, um, if you take a look, this is a list of rules, and I probably didn't even catch them all. But I went through and looked through from Romans 12:1 all the way to 13:7. There's there's imperative. Command, command after command after command. Don't think yourself more highly than you ought. Love without hypocrisy. Be devoted. Give each other honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Persevere in tribulation. Practice hospitality. I'm not going to read them all because we've been studying them over the past couple of weeks. But that's a lot to remember, all of those rules. And when you consider the Romans and how they were receiving this, this was a letter written by Paul sent to the Roman church. They didn't all have a copy. There were no handouts. There was no PowerPoint. They were listening to this letter, so they're getting rule after rule after rule, and they're trying to listen, take it all in. I got to remember that one. I got to remember that one, and it was it was a hard thing. So, Paul, at the end of this whole long section of all of these different imperatives, gives two commands, or not commands, but um, summarizing statements. Two principles that if you don't remember all of that, but you remember these two things, it's going to govern how you act, and that will be great. So this is where he's going with this, I believe. So let's take a look at Romans 138 to 14. It says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is near to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lie aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. God, I just thank you so much for these wonderful words. Thank you for these principles that Paul is laying out that will help us remember um, the, the two things that we need to um, how rule our lives and how we live and how we act and, and, um, and how we conduct ourselves. So we just ask, God, that you give us spiritual eyes through your Holy Spirit, teaching, dwelling within us, that you would just help us to understand this passage in the way you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's remember the context now. start The whole section started in chapter 12. He just finished talking about what's going to happen to the Jews. And then he says, Therefore, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And then he goes through verse after verse after verse of all these ways you can do that. Um, Things that you can do that would make yourself a holy and living sacrifice. But then at the very end, he kind of summarizes everything up and he gives two important principles. And we're looking at both of those principles this morning that are from the verses that I just read. The first principle that we can take directly from the very first section of the text says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Then he gives all the uh, different um, commandments. And then he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what's our very first principle? Live out a life of love. If we make love our governing principle, then the decisions we make on how we treat others, how we respond to persecution and tribulation, how we use our money, how we use our spiritual gifts, our talents, will all be good decisions. Because you can't go wrong when love is your guiding motivation. Well, now the phrase at the very beginning of the section, Paul's very clever here. He says, owe nothing to anyone. If you remember when Justin was talking about last week, on verse 7 it said, "Um, pay back what you owe to everyone. And then he kind of transitions into this summary by saying, owe nothing to anyone except... And then he starts talking about love here, so it's very clever. But he's what he's doing? He's he's saying this is an obligation to love. That one you can't complete, you can't discharge, you can't finish it up because it's a never-ending debt. Uh, Origen put it this way, and he is a uh, third-century Christian writer. He said, "Let only your debt, excuse me, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love." a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. So it's something that we never get to finish. It's an ongoing debt um, that we we have, love. Now, what is this love that he's talking about? Well, in the Greek language, there's three words translated love. Actually, there's four, but I'm going to show you three of them. One is a kind of a parental kind of love. The first one is eros which is um, an erotic sexual connotation. We don't see that word in the Bible. The second word, and this might be a little familiar to you, is phileo. And phileo is kind of um, a brotherly love, like Philadelphia is where that's where they get the name for, the city of brotherly love. So to have a special interest in someone or something, frequently with a focus, um, close association, have affection for something, uh, consider someone a friend. C.S. Lewis described it as a strong bond, between two people who share a common interest or activity. It's this mutual relationship where both people are getting something out of that relationship. Both eros and phileo have a lot to do with emotions and how somebody feels. And that's what they're coming from, an emotional tie. But the third word for love, and this is the word that Paul uses throughout our passage that we're looking at this morning, is agape. Agape, and it's... Not detectable. You don't see agape because you see emotion. Instead, it's in the action that that love prompts. So rather than some impulse that's um, started by feelings, agape is an exercise of the will. It's a deliberate choice. It's why Jesus could command us to love our enemies. Now, we can't feel love for our enemies because um, they're our enemies and they're probably trying to do something bad to us, and it's very hard to conjure up some kind of good emotion for it. But we can decide to act kindly on their behalf to do the right thing by them, and that's agape love. It's a decision. Agape love is related to obedience and commitment and not necessarily feeling. Um, Jesus uses the same word in John 14, 24. He said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, he who does not love me does not keep my words. So that first part of agape is that it's a decision of the will, it's something we do regardless of how we may feel, but we decide to do it. My mom used to make a killer pie, and one of her best pies was apple, And because my dad had this awesome apple tree in the backyard that produced amazingly good apples, And she would just make pie after pie and freeze and freeze and freeze. Well, One night when we were up in Connecticut, and she had baked an apple pie, and it smelled so good, it was for dessert. And so we had it all out, and she served it up with warm, of course, with ice cream. Am I making you hungry? And so it was this delicious pie, but we were waiting for her. She was getting coffee and things like that. And we're waiting and waiting, and we're talking. And my dad kept looking down at his pie, and he was noticing his ice cream was starting to melt. And he was getting a little frantic that his dessert was falling apart, and my mother still hadn't sat down. And finally, in total frustration, he said, well, every man for himself. And he started digging in. Well, my poor husband almost had a heart attack because Steve's a very polite guy, and he would never do anything to you know, dishonor my poor mother, who was still slaving away in the kitchen, by the way. His eyes almost popped out of his head. In fact, that whole phrase, every man for himself, has become this family joke. We use it all the time because of that funny incident. Well, that idea... Every man for himself is exactly opposite of what agape is all about. Instead, it should be every man for each other and not himself. That's what agape is. Agape is putting others first. Agape love. You know, it's how God did for us. Bible tells us, for God so loved, for God so agaped the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Again, not something Jesus necessarily wanted to do. If you remember when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did He pray? If there's any way this cup can pass from me, let's do that. But if it's if not, it's your will, not as I will, but your will. That agape love led Jesus to go through a very painful, terrible thing. In order to benefit the other, us. So that's what agape love is all about. Now, one more t- uh, little story about my dad. Um, when they were young, there wasn't a lot of money. Of course, who has money when you're first married, right? And they were living in this little tiny apartment in Hartford, Connecticut. And my mom came home one day. They had had a tough month. There wasn't a lot of money left. You know, there wasn't. You know, they'd run out of dollars before the next paycheck hit. Well, my dad had gotten paid that day. So she, when she walked into the apartment door, my father had cashed his entire paycheck into $1 bills. And he was laying on the couch, throwing the dollar bills up in the air. And he was singing, we're in the money. Our skies are sunny. And <laughs> it was a great moment. Oh, my mother used to love to tell that story um, because it was just... Uh, Kind of just the, the fun that they had when they first got married. But whenever I think of God's love, that's the picture I think of. I think of God, um, how lavish it was, what He gave us, just tons of it all over the place. Um, John, First John four nine ten says this: By the love of God, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, agape. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus told his disciples, freely you have received, so freely give. We can give that agape love because of the enormous amount of agape love we were given um, by God himself. Our bank account is overflowing with it, like my dad with all those dollar bills being thrown up in the air. We have so much love, we don't know what to do with it all. So what do we need to do? We need to give it away because of what God has done for us. In our abundance, we can afford to share. So it's inherent in the very character of God also. When we choose to imitate that characteristic, that agape love, we're revealing God to the world. 1 John four 7-12 uh, says, Beloved, let us love, agape, one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Agape reflects the character of God. So when we love with that agape love, we are showing God. We are showing Jesus Christ in us to the world. So it's an excellent motivation to do it. Another reason we should agape love is that Paul states that love fulfills the law. The law, He early proclaimed in Romans that the Christian's freedom from not being under the law anymore. It was, the law was condemning. We've been set free from that condemnation. But we're under a new law, the law of Christ. Galatians uh, 6.2 talks about that. And it says, bear one another burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Back in our passage, Paul was talking about all these different laws. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Um, he missed a couple of them out of the Ten Commandments that have to do with how we treat each other. But he's talking about all of the commandments and he wraps it up and he says, love is exactly what those Old Testament commandments are about, about doing, treating each other the right way. Jesus. Um, also singled out that love command as one of the two commandments on which all the law and the prophets hang. Melanie. Yes, keep going. There it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Paul's saying, when you agape love, that fulfills all of that. It fulfills the law of Christ. So, the first principle then that we can take away from Paul's little summary is, base our attitude and actions on love. Live out love. Determine to do things with agape love. Now, in the next paragraph, Paul moves to a second principle. And that helps us sum up his command. And... Um, as living sacrifices, what to do with living sacrifices. And this is what he says. Do this, knowing the time, that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sexuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So principle number two is live a life of light. So live a life of love, and the second is live a life of light. Paul uses this metaphor of dark and light all the way through this paragraph that we just read. Now, light and dark were much more profound things for people in the first century than they ever would be for us today. Because we have electricity, so when the lights, when the sun goes down, it starts getting dark. We just flip up a few switches, and we might as well be in daylight again from with the light that we have in our house. But for them, when darkness fell, the impact was pretty severe. Um, this, it was a, it was a society that was actually governed by the sun. They got up by the sun. Only slackers would stay in bed after sunup because there was work to be done, and you had to do it while the sun was up. So the, um, and they wanted to get most of their work done before the heat of the midday because it would get very hot. It was a metaphor drawn from the reality of daily life, how important light was to them. So let's take a look at, uh, I made a little chart here to show all of the different ways that Paul uses the light and dark in through this paragraph. He talks about awaken light from sleep, the darkness. Day is near, night is almost gone. Talks about the armor of light versus the deeds of darkness. Then he talks about behavior, as in the day. Then he says, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, deeds of the night. And finally, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. So he's got this light and dark contrast thing going on the whole way through that, which is, again, I think very clever. All right, so one other thing that we need to look at here then is something that Paul kind of brings this truth out a little bit. We called it in in seminary, the already, not yet thing. Have you ever heard this? Already, not yet. I know my Bible study women have. <laughs> um, in the New Testament, this is an idea that gets explained over and over again. It's the concept that some aspects of our salvation we've already received, but some aspects of our salvation are still to be received. There's still more to come. So let's look at what's been done already. And he talked about these things through the first part of Romans. He said we were condemned. There's the dark, light, get it? Now who's clever? Julie on her PowerPoints. Okay, so we were condemned. Now we are forgiven, declared innocent. Darkness. We were ruled by the flesh. Now we're ruled by the spirit. We were alienated from God. Now we're adopted sons and daughters. We were slaves to our sin. Now we can claim freedom and victory in Christ. We were enemies of God. Now we're reconciled. There's probably a whole lot lot more, but those were just some of the main ones that I found as I looked through again. A lot of our salvation has been already given to us, and we have received it. Paul, at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, tells the Romans, in light of these things these things that have already occurred, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and not to be any longer conformed to this world, to the darkness side. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what he's saying is think about what's already happened to you. These things have already been done. They've been accomplished. And so now it will transform you if you keep dwelling on these things into a living sacrifice in keeping with the new era that Christ has placed you in. But there's also now, at the end of this summary, as a look toward the future as well as what's already been done. um, The not yet part. (laughs) He says, Knowing the time salvation is nearer to us, than when we believed. Than when we believed. So there's something coming up ahead. He's talking about, of course, the day of the Lord. Paul's looking ahead to that completion of the salvation process. He's, because Christians still await a full and final salvation. He said in Romans 5, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Past tense, been justified, right? Then he says, we shall be saved. From the wrath of God through Him, so there's a future aspect of our salvation still to come. In 8:23, He said, "We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." So there's something in the future we're still looking forward to in terms of our salvation, and t- even talking about our sanctification, how Christ is continually working with us to conform us into His image. Philippians 1:6, Paul said. It's he who began a good work, in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So again, an ongoing process, part of our salvation. So there's an already, not yet thing going on. Paul starts uh, chapter 12, and he says, renew your mind what's already occurred. And now here in these last verses of the summary, he's saying, keep in mind what's ahead. Wake up and start acting like the future is already a done deal. Because you know what? It is. It's done. And let me tell you why I say that. We need to clothe ourselves in light because we have been transported into the light. In Ephesians it says, we have been raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places. Past tense. It's done. We don't see it yet because we're still on earth. But those things have already been accomplished and God has has finished those. Uh, In Colossians 1.13 it says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the transfer has already happened. So that's something that we need to do. So then he says, let us behave properly as in the day. In other words, start living like it's already happened. Because guess what? It has. And so we want to start living according to what the truth is, what our reality is. So Paul gives three instructions there. He says, put on the armor of light. And, of course, the armor of light is opposed to um, the night conforming to this evil world, right? Uh, The second thing is behave properly as opposed to carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Our old principal used to say, um, my kids when they were in high school, he used to say, nothing good happens after midnight. And we parents were going, what he said, right? And it's true, (laughs) The later the night gets, the more trouble they can get into. And that's why parents have curfews. Not because we don't like them. It's because we are afraid for them and we know what can happen in the night. So Paul's saying, let's behave properly in the day, as in the daytime. And then finally he says, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ as opposed to making provision to the flesh in, in regard to its lusts. So you've got this light darkness thing going on in each of those things trying to give you a better picture of what living in the light is all about. Two principles. Well, in closing, I want to tell you a little story my husband told me yesterday about when he was a little boy, his dad had gone on a trip to England. And he came home with three gifts for Steve. The first was a, a cricket bat. Um, and then the second were two books. One was a book, All the Rules About Cricket. And it was extensive, everything you ever want to know about cricket. And the second book was entitled, How to Succeed in Cricket. So he asked his dad, why did you give me two books on cricket? Because that rule book was like pretty thick and, you know, a lot to go through. And then this other book, and his father told him this. He said, the first one gives you all the rules. And if you have them, you'll know how to play the game. But the second book gives you the principles on how to play the game well. This is what Paul has just done for us in this passage that we've been looking at, Romans 13:8 to 14 he gives us two principles. One, live out the love that you've been freely given. Second, live out the light in which you now live. These two principles will help us play the game well. If we adapt these two principles, we're going to instinctively know what the right thing is to do when these little decisions come up. And they're going to go a long way in guiding us in living lives that honor God and
0: reveal him to the world.